and welcome back to the Bad Signal Podcast. Moving forward in all things in life. And in that sense, the New England Patriots have to move forward to thinking about the 2021 season. Because as favorites going into the Texans game, two and a half point favorites in Houston, they just got absolutely rattled. By Deshaun Watson, we talked about it at length. He is an explosive quarterback. He makes plays with his feet, and he made the Patriots' defense look completely inept. While a lot of people are sitting here on a Monday scratching their heads trying to figure out where the Patriots will go forward, how we turn the page to the offseason where the Patriots have about $55 million, 55 to $60 million in cap space, it's according to my good friend Pat's cap on Twitter. Go check him out. He updates the Patriots cap numbers by the second, by the day. But yeah, the Patriots have a lot of work to do in the offseason. And at least for right now, the chances of them making the postseason very, very slim. So instead of me sitting here and breaking down the game, I'm going to bring in a good friend of mine. And he won two Super Bowls with the New England Patriots. He's currently an analyst on ESPN. Yeah, it's one of your former linebackers, Rob Ninkovich. Um, and we just break down everything with the NFL. He's got a lot of things to say, not only about the Patriots, but about the game of football. And Rob is not shy to tell a story or two. And you probably can tell that from the length of time of this podcast, but it's enjoyable. Why not? It's Thanksgiving week. Sit back, cook your turkey, make your pies, listen to this pod. This is a puppy. Oh, is a puppy here. He's a, I mean, he's upstairs sleeping. He's been a terror. He's been like nuts. I, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know if I love him yet. Why? Wait, first of all, there was like a whole video of a bunch of puppies laying. No, no, over that, the, why didn't you take the puppy that was sleeping in in the feeding bowl? That was a girl. Uh-oh. I had to take a boy. I had a boy. Like the lady at Goldiva, the lady Mary has like, she makes thirty grand every freaking um, breeding. Every six months, right? How does I mean, that work? No, she has. She's like she's driving like she got like six Bentleys. It's nuts. Like no, I'm telling. Like she had she's a, a puppy lot of, pin. No, she had like three Mercedes. I mean, in a Porsche. So she had a lot Lives of in Maine. Like, in Maine. Right? Yes, yes. But they have like what they do. It's actually pretty smart. Like they have contracts out with multiple owners who own a female, and then multiple owners that own a male. And it's in the contract that she gets to use their her dog for breeding. So she'll have puppies. Like she had puppies when I got the the boy. Then she had puppies like two weeks later. Then she'll have puppies in like another six weeks. So like she constantly is having puppies, which So she does she do the people that own the other dogs, do they get like puppy equity? I, I, I think they do get a little bit. I think they get some cash. Puppy equity, though. <laughs> I don't, so, I, I mean, my wife was like totally against it. She's like, I don't like that. I don't like how they're doing it. But the late, like the way she does it, they're like champion. Like she does the genetic testing and she yeah. takes like the best male with the best hips and the best female with the best hips and elbows and eyes. And then they make a, and that's why, like, if you look at the website, like all their dogs are super good looking. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it, the, also the problem is I had a best friend in high school who they had golden retrievers and they're an inbred breed. And that's, yeah, a yeah, because they're that's over. why a lot of a lot of rescue dogs, they live a long, long time because you're mixing other generations and genetics and it's not yeah. incestual, as they say. Yeah. But I, that's 
her dogs in middle school, they would, they lived to four or five years old and they would die. Like I know, so. a number of them. It's just, I, and that's heartbreaking. I know. Well, I mean, early in like when people, for example, like a, um, like the, like the, like when you breed for color, like this is yeah. what the lady was telling me too. Like some people have like white golden. So they say like only white goldens, but yeah. she said to make, a golden white, like you have to keep the genes in a certain like range. And that's when you have like genetic problems because you're supposed to have like, just like humans, like, Hey, like you got one person and then another person, they come together. Boom. It's like, okay, great. It's not like, Hey, it's my cousin. And like, Hey, we're going to like make a kid that looks similar looking. Cause then they're not right. It just wouldn't work. So, um, is that how you and Paige got together? <laughs> Well, yeah, New Orleans, New Orleans, Illinois. I mean, you come together, you make beautiful kids. That's what happens. But, How did you outkick your coverage? So I tell you this all the time. Your wife is gorgeous. She is very pretty. I don't, I don't say that about a lot of people. But she's a very, very beautiful person. Um, I, I mean, honestly, you know, I'm I'm from the Midwest, and nothing against, um, nothing against the Midwestern lovely gals of the Midwest. But yeah. when you go down to LSU. Whew. And it's a, it's a little different down there. I, I remember my first week down in New Orleans and that's when Paige, I was out and about with my buddies and uh, there was just a, a, a group of very good looking women. And I had the, I had the coconuts to go up and ask Paige out and it worked out. Well, that's really sweet. How old were you? Young? Uh, 22. Oh, so you were still in college. Wow, young. No, I was, I was young. I was a rookie. I got drafted at 20. My, I was a senior at 21. Yep. I got drafted at 22. So me me and Reggie were the youngest guys in the league, basically. Reggie came out a year early, so he was 21. I was 22. Most of the guys that get drafted are like 24, you know, because you redshirt. Yeah. And you have the extra year. You know, a lot of guys, when they get out of college or when they start, when they hit the league, they're like 24. So that helps actually for me because I – I was 32 in my 11th year in the league. So I was pretty yeah. young. I had, I went to a few parties at Purdue. I did a weekend, a girlfriend from high school went to Purdue. So well, a funny story about Purdue. I, I honestly didn't, I didn't think, I didn't know that I was going to Purdue and I went to junior college for two years in Joliet um, out of high school. I wasn't, I didn't yeah. get the looks that I, that I wanted. Um, so me and my friend Roy went out to a party at Purdue. We were like, I don't know, sophomores at the time. Yeah. And his girlfriend was going to Purdue. And I remember BSing somebody like, yeah, I think I'll play football here one day. You know, like, and Roy looks at me like, you ain't playing football here. And then like a year later, I signed there. It was crazy. Cause I just kind of like, I looked at honestly what I did when I wanted to go to the Big Ten school. I looked at every roster mm-hmm. and the schools that were interested in me. And I picked the ones that I felt would be the best competition not like hey you're gonna get a job I was like I want to go somewhere where like there's already dudes there to where if I can beat them out or if I can you know get in the lineup then that's gonna like show the scouts or the pro scouts like yeah this guy's pretty damn good if he can you know get in the mix there because we at the time Purdue had a true freshman starting DN and Ray Edwards when I was coming in who was five-star recruit from Cincinnati, 6'6", like 280, monster DN. Yeah. He was a freak. And then they had Anthony Spencer, who was a true sophomore starter. 
who was like 6'3", 260, a monster too. He looked like, we used to call him um, Predator because he had the, he had like, he looked way older than he really was, but he had the the dreads and he had like, like so many teeth. It was insane. Good looking guy, but. So many teeth. What is he? Like, just like, he just had a, like, I don't know. Like he had that predator look like he was just like, <laughs> and everybody was afraid of him because he was just literally the strongest dude in the gym. He'd walk into the weight room and like, really didn't care. He'd look around be like, what do I got to do? And they'd be like, Oh, it's max. And be like, all right, put like four or something on there. And you just boom. And I'm like, Oh, oh shit. Don't mess with Spence. So, uh, I, I got in the lineup and I started actually, I didn't start my first year, my, my junior year at Purdue. I was just rotating with those guys. Yeah. And then my senior year, I just, I got it. I started, I started my senior year. Um, and then Ray, Ray actually got drafted over me because he was a, just a freak, like the way he looks. I mean, he, yeah. I, look up Ray Edwards. You'll see some interesting photos. Okay. I he's, will. Like a, he's like a male model now. <laughs> Unlike you, then the just for men beard. Is yeah, that well, I, mean, I don't have much gray in it, but it's I got a few coming. You got a few coming in there. We had a doctor. Wisdom. That's, that's called wisdom. They call that wisdom. I have a few gray hairs. And my hairdresser, he like, he blends them in. I'd rather that. Why stop, stop the aging process, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with gray. I think it looks great. My mom right now with COVID, she looks like an old lady. <laughs> I've never seen somebody like, you know how like you have a picture in your head of what somebody's supposed to look like forever. Yeah. Yeah. My mom is like, you know, nice brown, you know, like tons of hair, always goes to the salon, has it done up, always looks terrific. And then with COVID, she's like, look at my hair. I'm like, mom, you're like, she's like, I'm like, oh my God, mom, you might need to put some of that root stuff in there and just, you know. No, that- you know what? That was happening to my mother as well. There were a couple of older women that were friends with her that had the hairdressers like come to their house, but they were outside. So socially distant. Yeah. But- my mom was getting the hair dye that was like sent to her house and it was all patchy. <laughs> it looked even more like shit than it should have, but they yeah. were actually running out of hair dye during COVID. So that was the biggest problem that all these older women were like, I don't know what to do. Just let it go, man. Just, Just let it go. My mom, my mom won't do it though. She's like, I'm not doing that. I can't do it, which I understand. I, I won't let the hair. I can't just let the hair go. My dad wants to see me bald. I'm like, dad, I don't want to look like you. I'm sorry. I don't want to lose all my hair, but oh no. He already knows that you have a like this booming, bright ESPN career that's coming up. Congrats. You welcome to the world, to Uh-oh. my world of broadcasting. Thank um, you. We'll see what happens after this year. I don't know. The COVID world has flipped the media industry upside down, honestly. It's 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 just been do you think about it like the way things used to be and the way you were covering teams and the way you do things just right before this COVID thing happened. And now the way you have to, you know, socially distant, you can't be in studio with people. You can't like do the things that when you're on television or when you're on, you're doing a show, it makes the show, you know, it's, I I work at home on Fridays on get up and it's so hard. I could show I'm sitting where I do it. And I was just going to say, is that your background? I mean, you got to prepare for the future. So I, why, where's your, where are your books on the bookshelf? I don't need books. Why is your lanyard lanyard like falling down? I don't know. It looks very sloppy. I'm very disappointed. I don't care. This is not true. You know, what's really cool though. These cleats, these are super sweet. So these are the cleats that I wore in Arizona and they still have like all this. They still have all the sod and all the confetti like stuck in them. 
That's sick. So, I love that. Yeah, it's these are pretty. Are, are the top? Are they scuffed too at the top? Oh, I mean, I, I wore them. Turf, so you don't really get. There's not a lot of wear and tear on your on your cleats for the turf. No, so this was the actually grass, but in that Super Bowl when we played Seattle, we played in Arizona, and um, honestly, what happens to to the Patriots in certain situations is Bill mandates studs. So, like on that field, I hate studs, like seven stud cleats. Yeah, I had an Achilles issue at the end of my career, and I honestly thought, like, I still have the actual insert in here. So I used to put these in the bottom of my cleat. Right. And it would yep. it would put my heel up higher so I didn't have to, like, be yeah. on my toes. Obviously, yeah. I'm running and cutting yeah. and doing everything I have to do. But every uh, game, I would just tell her I'd tell Hightower, I'd say, hey, hi, I think today's the day my Achilles is going to explode. And he'd be like, shut up. But I made it, though. No Achilles pop. I've, oh. seen, I've seen like four of those things pop. It's not pretty. What's it like when you're on the field? I've had a, a couple a friend of mine who's a football player was telling me he's like, Cordy, you don't really understand like the the savagery that goes on on a football field. Like I, he remembers this was a friend who played for the Dolphins. So they were in the middle of Dolphins practice, and all of a sudden, one of their guys just cuts, and you hear the the rip of their tendons, and ah, and they go down, and they go down, and literally, the guy could potentially be missing millions of dollars and years off of his career, and the coach is like, "Run it back, let's go." And as football players, you're just trained to just ignore that, but you care. You're like, oh my, holy shit, my teammates on the ground. Uh, how does that, how does that affect you? Like what, what goes on in your mind when things like that happen? Uh, can you have any empathy at all? Yeah, I mean, you do, but I've witnessed guys, you know, compound fracture, like fib tib break completely sounds like a chicken bone snap you know i've seen that i've seen it from junior college it happened on the football field and it it happens and you just move on i've seen guys get off like just take off like they're gonna go run and you hear a little pop and it's their achilles and then the thing that sucks is i've been there i know what it feels like so rex burkhead obviously you know we don't know i don't know if they came out yet and said he tore his acl but But yeah no they they said it yesterday yeah I mean, but I'll tell you, but I'll tell you about just guys getting hurt. Like I tore my ACL, MCL, PCL, meniscus, and I had a microfracture all in one, like one play. So when that happened, damage too to the knee, like what's that? Structural damage too to the knee, because yeah, I had structural. I, so anyone that has structural damage, that's like your cartilage. Like you can damage your cartilage. I had uh, cartilage damage. Um, luckily for me, they were able to like staple it, like put it in place. And then I was basically non weight bearing for, I think it was like eight weeks, no weight bearing, like, no, don't put any weight on it. And when I started my rehab, it was slow. The one thing that gets me every time is when someone gets, has a knee injury, everyone's like, well, you know, they'll be back next year. I'm like, dude, do you know how hard it is? I remember tearing my ACL and I was bad. So when I did it, it was the Monday night game against Atlanta Falcons when the the Saints opened up the dome. So that like the Saints are coming, like right after Katrina. Yep. Block punt, Steve Gleason. Block yeah. punt. I was on the I was on that punt team. I we ran pistol. That was the name of the block punt. And uh so fast forward, I was going into the game the next series after like the, the the kickoff. They ran a reverse um for a touchdown and I was 
the DC came up to me and was like, Nico, you're in the series. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going. So I was running down on kickoff. And at the time they had four man wedge back before they were outlawed. I was the wedge buster like, hey, Ninkovich, you're the, the crazy white guy. Run as fast as you can run as fast as you possibly can and just knock one of the guys out or run into the wedge. And like, that's your job. So mm -hmm. I was a young rookie and I'm like, all right, I guess that's what I got to do. So, um, in that particular game, it was a deep kick, right. And the ball was right by the pylon. So the ball was caught right on the pylon. So the, I'm looking at the ball and I see the wedge coming so as I'm running to the ball, I felt the wedge come. So I stuck my foot in the ground. And as I turn, I like my foot was like kind of stuck in the yeah. turf. And because it was brand new turf, it was really spongy. So when people talk about like soft turf, when you when you have like a soft field and no one's ever played on it yet, it's never yeah. been like packed down. Yep. So you can stick. And when you stick, like it's bad. So when yeah. I stuck, I got caught. And then, and then those guys hit me and like spun me. So like my foot was caught and I got twisted all the way around and it like it did like that twisted my knee. So after the game, I get on, I'm on crutches and I'm like, you have like denial. You think like maybe that's not like bad. Maybe it's maybe it's not as bad as like I feel. I know it. I know I felt like a bunch of stuff pop, but maybe it's not that bad. And I remember just like getting my apartment and I was at my island. I'm like, I'm just going to walk to the fridge. Like, I think I could do this. So I put a little bit of weight on it and my knee went backwards like a flamingo, like at flamingo. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to have surgery. Damn it. So, Were you, I mean, you must have been juiced up with so many drugs. At that. I, mean, I, mean, I, like, I never, I've never really done. The, I've never really done the, the drugs, like the pain reliever stuff. Like even after surgery, so when I did all my surgeries, because I've had like, I've had my shoulder done. I've had my, the worst surgery was my groin. Oh, oh. God, that hurt. So, you know, oh, that was something crashing above me. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is your son. Kids or something. Um, it's your son. Who's going to play football so one day? I don't know. I have two sons. One of them might be a football player. The other the one. The middle one might be. He might be. He might be. He's so crazy. He is. He's wild. Um. <laughs> So the, the surgery, they're like, Hey, we could do a nerve block. But when they tell you they're going to do the nerve block, they're like, yeah, you, there's like a chance that you have nerve issues. And me being like the paranoid psychopath that I am about getting back and playing and not affecting or having the risk of career ending. Cause when you have a knee injury like that, they, you honestly think like, all right, well, that's it. Like my career's over. And oh, that's the wrong. first thing that goes in your head is like, my career's over. Yeah. So and that was 2006. So that was right at the start of like Dr. Andrews it was do he perfected the ACL allograph. He per perfected that surgery. So when I went in for it, I was like, just, I was pretty down and he was like, yeah, I think we, I, you know, I can get you back. I'm going to put you at the front of the list. So I'm fresh and I'm, I'm really alert for your surgery. I'll put you first because you're the pro and then I'll do the rest after. Cause the guy does like six ACLs. I don't think he does it anymore, but he would have six scheduled for one day. And he would, if he was your, if you're like the first on the list, like, I guess that's the better procedure. I don't and know. He, and he pays more attention to I guess, But honestly though, at, at that point, I think he just goes in places the graph and leaves. And then the rest of the guy, the people, 
come in. But he probably literally so that's probably what he does. He's just he just comes in, puts the graph in, yeah, puts the graph in, makes sure it looks good, and then comes out. But that surgery really, really sucked because I, I had the ACL like they fixed the ACL, which your MCL it heals on its own. So when I was going into this thing, I did a lot of research. I know a lot about knees. They used to call me Dr. Ninko because I used to research stuff. I'd come into the doc's office. I'd start talking to guys, like, tell me what's going on. And they'd be like, Ninko, get out of here. You have no degree. You're not, a, you don't have your doctorate. Get out of here. But um, when they redid the Patriots facility, they gave me the, the doctor plate and it, it was on my locker. I still have it actually. That's but um, so when I was going through the process of rehab, like it, knees really suck. So like Joe Burrow, I, you know, they said that he had, ACL, MCL, his MCL will be fine. They'll fix his, yeah. his ACL. MCL, you can play on an, a torn MCL in the NFL. Yeah, I've torn. So yeah. this is crazy. I've torn my right MCL three times, my left MCL four times. So I've torn my knee. Like my MCLs are super loose. Like once you yeah. tear your, your MCL, your knee kind of like never as tight as it used to be. But yeah. once you like for me, I was kind of loose jointed anyway. So it wasn't yeah. crazy. Um, but that heals on its own. So the whole MCL thing, when people say, oh, they tore their MCL. I know, it's not that serious. It's not that serious. It'll be like four weeks, they'll be back and they'll be good. Yeah. Um, well, Joe Burrow's injury was just so fascinating. And I think one of the things of the topics, and we'll get into some football stuff now, but yeah. um, one of the biggest oversights, and a lot of things happen in NFL free agency, and I know this is a COVID year and it's a little different, but possibly one of the biggest oversights in the Cincinnati Bengals front office is not building a fortress around your, your all-star quarterback. I mean, this is your number one future quarterback for the next 15 years. And I mean, as a general manager of the Bengals, did you have to put some blame on yourself to see like, man, we let these guys hit our superstar so many times. And, and that collapse of the pocket yesterday, I watched it. And I know that red zone loves to replay and replay things, but that dude's body went sideways. And that I, I knew instantly that wasn't just an ACL tear. That's it's just, I, I, how can, how, you know, as, as a player, could you kind of look there and you're just like, I feel bad. I feel bad for like that franchise. Like that guy is just stuck in a franchise. It's I not feel bad. I feel bad for him because he had to go to a franchise like that. And yeah. like, there is perfect examples that if you look across the league of all 32 teams, there's consistently the same teams that just never win. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter how many players they have. It doesn't matter what they do. Coaches come and go fire the coach, fire the GM, bring in new, whatever new players yeah. like Cleveland, like Cincinnati, um, you know, go, you can go down the list. There's consistently port like Jacksonville, like they're just never there. They might get there. They might have one year where you're like, wow, they look like they're, you know, they've done the right things here. And then the next year they're just, they, they suck again. So, you know, I think that for Cincinnati, you have to have some blame on the head coach. You have to have some blame on the GM because it, like, look, you can't sugarcoat this thing. Everyone's into the analytics now and everyone's doing the computer stuff and everyone has some nerd in the back. Sorry. Can I say nerd in the back on a computer on this podcast? If you want perfect, um, you know, someone back there that's just pounding away on the keys and they could have easily looked at the first six weeks of the season. He's the number one quarterback in the NFL for passing just dropbacks. Like he throws the ball more than anyone and he's been hit more than anyone. So 
looking at that, you should say to yourself, okay, if this is our future, which Joe Burrow, hell of a, hell of a start so far as a rookie, he looks like he had a bright future, has a bright future. Hopefully this knee doesn't have some catastrophic consequences because you never know. You never know what's going to happen with the surgery or with, you know, the, the injury or when you say structural, because if you lose, like once you damage your meniscus and you start messing with cartilage, it's like basically the beginning of the end. It doesn't matter. Like I've been in the league. I was in the league 11 years. Anybody who started to have degeneration of the cartilage in the cushion in your knee, they don't last. Their, their, their career is almost over right when that happens. And I was like grade two at the end. And funny story, me and Amendola, Dola's still rolling because he's a beast, but me and Dola going to the doc's office. We both have swelling in the knee because I had grade two. I don't know. I don't know what his was, but he had swelling too. We did a rock, paper, scissors. I say, okay, who's going first? Dola gets up on the table. I'm sitting there. I'm looking at what's going on. They bring out this needle, like this fat needle. Looks like they're going to stab a, like a, I don't know, an elephant with this thing. Stick it in his knee. They start moving it around, moving it around. They start pulling out the, it's like a yellowy, like clear. It's like yellowish clear. So it doesn't have like anything in it. It's like fluid. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what it, it's. The consistency looks like, I don't know. It's like a clear, but it has a little yellow tint. And a little bit of blood. So I'm like sitting there. I'm like, mm, oh man, oh boy, this this. And then Dola's looking at me. I could tell he's in pain. They stop. They pull the needle out. I look at the doc. I said, guess what? I'm gonna go grab two Advil and I'm going to practice. So I left. I didn't get it done because I'm like, I'm not having that. I'm not. They're not sticking with a needle with me. My last year, I had I had some stuff going on, like swelling, and I didn't like getting it drained. I never had it drained. So I'm like, I'm not doing that. And then when I wasn't playing, it went away. So like, since I haven't been playing football or doing things like cutting with cleats on, on turf, I don't have any swelling. I don't have any pain. So, um, that's the one thing that is concerning with Joe Burrow. Like when they say structural, what does that mean? You could have a lot of different things going on in there. They don't want to mess with your cartilage or meniscus. I've seen just terrible, terrible things happen to football players once they take that out. Cause sometimes they have to remove certain things like your meniscus. And when they do that, oh, it's not good. So Dwayne Wade told me when he was, um, when I was covering the, uh, the heat in Miami, Dwayne Wade was telling me, it was like the reason core that I have so many issues with my knees is that because when he was at Marquette, there was like a big surgery. The big thing at 2003 um, with knees was that they removed your meniscus. So that was literally, that's, that's why he, when he came out into the league, they used to say in Spanish, it was a saying in Spanish that Dwayne Wade looked like a, he ran around the court, like a cockroach with the lights on. But I mean, as his career went on, can't put pressure on those knees. And you're talking about guys like Danny Amendola and Julian Edelman who just had a procedure on his knee. And although it's been a secret of what exactly it was, it seemed to be some sort of procedure that, helped out with fluid in his knees or meniscus or whatever. Um, how much more time does Julian have in the league? Uh, I mean, that's a tough one because the guy's, the guy's tough as nails. Um, but in that certain position, and I, you know, I got all the love in the world for Jules. I got a picture of him right there. He's, he's one of my dudes, one of my best guys, you know. Um, so when I, when I think about Jules, I think number one, toughest guy, one of the toughest that, 
on my list, the tough guys, like he's super tough. He deals with pain. He fights through pain. He's been hit. He's we've all seen the things that he goes through during a regular season. Um, so the knees are tough when you're in your thirties, you know, I retired at 32. I felt like I got out young because at a certain point, you know, what's the, what is there to, to life? I guess, if you don't have your health, if you don't have your coconut, you don't have all your brain cells going, working for you. Um, and we all know that the long-term stuff is, is pretty scary with football. You know, I mean, shit, I could show you like, like when I look at some of my old helmets, I mean, like, I'm just like wrecked up front with just hitting people. And like, when you continue to do that over and over and over again in your thirties, I just don't think it's great for you, you know, for your long-term health. Um, so I got out early. Um, that's a decision that guys have to make on their own. You have to come to terms with that. Um, you have to accept that, look, I'm, I'm ready to walk away. And it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to make that decision on your own without someone telling you, without someone saying, look, we're going to cut you or you're, you're not going to be here. You're not in our plans. That happens more than not. And guys either have it that way or they go out on IR or they have a bad injury and then they never get another shot. And then that's the way it goes. So for me, there's only three ways to go out. It's your way, their way or hurt. And I wanted to go out my way. So, you know, for Jules, I want to see him, whatever he has to do, whatever, you know, goals he has left. I want to have him achieve all those goals, figure, you know, what else do I, I need to achieve? What else do I need to do? What else do I need to check off the, the list here and then right off into the sunset? So, you know, for him, I think if he can get back um, at 34 years old um, next year at 35, I mean, once you get into your mid thirties, it's tough in that position because of the cutting and the running and the physical abuse you take as a slot, you just get beat up. Um, you know, so you look at the history, you look at the history of time and, and guys that are in that position. Wes Welker, he had to walk away because of. Yeah. Yeah. But Wes was 34, you know, Wes was 34 his last year he played. So, you know, the last big year he had, he was 32. And then he at 33, he had the, the headshots. And then at 34, he went to St. Louis for like six games. With the Broncos. He played for the, Broncos. he played for the Broncos for two. So he left here, went to the Broncos, had a huge year with Peyton, um, lost the Super Bowl. Yeah. Was out, didn't wasn't back with Denver when they won the Super Bowl. Then he went to St. Louis, he retired after St. Louis. Then he went to the 49ers as the quarterback coach. So now he's with the 49ers. But you know, like I feel, you know, Wes has been to three, he's been to four Super Bowls and he hasn't won one. So it's I I want to see him get one. I want to see him get a Super Bowl because that guy deserves it. Nobody talks about Wes enough, too. Yeah. Like that dude was a freaking monster. Listen, I grew up here. I, that dude I was a beast. Like when I first got here, I was like, dude. So funny story in 09, 2009, when I was the first day of practice, they were doing live one-on-one -on -one tackling. And I was basically just a tryout guy. Like Bill called me. Um I was in New Orleans in 2009 as the long snapper, believe it or not. All I did was snap footballs. I wasn't a linebacker. I wasn't a defensive end. I was just a long snapper. You took that willingly, right? Yeah. Well, Sean Payton told me, hey, the only chance you have of making this team is as a long snapper. So I was like, okay, okay, I guess I'll be a long snapper for you. So then they cut me. You report to training camp. Usually you drive in the gate, you park your car, you get your bag, you go in you're going into the locker room and, and you get all your stuff on the, on the door. What's that? 
And your code doesn't work on the door? Well, I was, it didn't even happen to me. I got out of my car. I saw this guy, the Turk, the guy that cuts you. And not only was he, you know, the guy that cuts you, he was the ugliest human I've ever seen in my life. He had like pockmarks. I'm talking like here, all the way down his face, the deepest scarring that you could ever imagine. It looked like he was burned or something. It was, he wasn't burned though. He wasn't. Um, so he, he's like, Hey, uh, Sean wants to see you. I'm like, okay. Okay. So I go up in his office. He says, Hey, we're going to release you today. We signed, uh, somebody, a long snapper vet, you know, played a long time. I'm like, okay. I almost flipped it. I, I wanted to take his desk and I wanted to like flip it over on him and strangle him, but I didn't do that. I said, I, I did say you, you didn't know this two weeks ago before everyone had a roster set and everyone had their training camp rosters to where now I got to wait to see if someone gets cut and then get a chance. Cause at that point I hadn't played real football since 06, you know, I had got hurt and it took me like three years to come back from that knee injury. Yeah. So it was like, Oh, we just, just didn't work out. So I go out that night the, the night I got cut, it was in new Orleans. So I, I went out, I got, hammered i was i woke up i was like i'm gonna go golfing with my buddy we were like on the second hole yeah and i got a phone call and it was bill and he said hey you know we're two weeks into camp um i'll fly you in for a tryout and you know i can't guarantee you anything just whatever you got a shot so i was like all right so i got on a flight it was a 5 30 flight i had a layover i didn't get into boston until like 1 30 a.m oh, 1 30 i got in i didn't realize this at the time because i had never been but the drive from from boston to foxborough like 45 minutes it was 1 30 i was like where am i going like yeah. i thought this was like new england patriots like you, th you think like boston you think like it's right there so they drive me out to foxborough it's like I get in at, I think it was like two 30. I had to get up at five for a physical. Yeah. So I get up, run my conditioning test, pass the conditioning test barely. Cause I was dying. I was all by myself tired. And, uh, that first day we had one-on-one -on -one tackling drill first guy up. And what you do in tackling drill, it's a, uh, you know, they have 10 yard, you're 10 yards apart, five yards with, there's a guy with the ball and the defender. And it's just you and him in open in like open space and, you got to, you got to tackle. So what you do is when you're in line, it's just natural. This is what happens to all football players. You just look at the line and you look at your line and you count like, okay, I was like seven guys in. So I'd look at that line, the offensive line. And I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm like, no, that can't be seven. No, no, no. One, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Wes Welker. Okay. <laughs> so Welker the first one-on-one -on -one tackling drill. And I'm like, Oh gosh, I got to tackle him. I got to like get him down. Yeah. So I got him down. Like he gave me a little like Wes Welker shake and I tackled him. I got him down, got him down. I tackled him. I was, I was like really happy that I got him down. So then we had two rounds of that. The second time around, I do the same thing. I look it's Fred Taylor. Oh man. Fred Taylor. Back, right. Running back. Running back. Yeah, a beast of a run. I'm talking like massive dude is a freak, like big, strong. Like I grew up like high school, like Fred Taylor. I'm like, dude, yeah. that dude is a freak, monster, strong. And he hit me with a dot dot, and I missed him real, real bad. But it's okay because if I if I made one on Wes Welker, I missed one on Fred Taylor. That doesn't bother me one bit. Yeah. 
you what's Bill like in practice? And uh, what do you not mean at least this year has changed at least just what from what you're seeing or is anyone you're talking to in the locker room? I know that he's just very a very stoic guy. He keeps things straightforward and we've seen just a little different style of Bill as the way he's treating the media or certain things that he said, telling Charlie Weiss that we sold out for three Super Bowls and this is why we don't have enough cap space and don't blame me for this and that. Do you, have you heard anything about just kind of the way he's been conducting the team? Is there anything changed? Is he affected more by this 2020 season where suddenly after 11 years of going to the playoffs, they're not going anymore? I mean, I think that it's definitely more difficult this year based on what he has to coach and what he has to deal with in the past. There was always there was always a really great system in place in New England of older leadership with older guys that had been there and a new group of guys that come in as young, very influenced players. And you learn from the older guys. You watch. You kind of just observe. You're that sponge. You absorb all the information. You see Bill, the way he treats guys, the way he interacts with the vets, the old guys, the young guys, you see how he treats the old guys, Tom Brady, you see how he treats Tom and the, like, he's not afraid to make sure that whoever you are, there's no, there's no favoritism. There's no, Hey, if you mess this play up and you're a guy that's been here a long time, or you've got a big contract or you're a pro bowler, like he's not going to sugarcoat anything. So I think that this year is tough because you lose some very vital pieces of leadership and when you lose the the people at the top, the young guys really don't have that fall in line. Where do I go? They don't have the people to look at. And when you lose, you lose Tom, Tom leaves. He's a huge influence on that whole team um, because for a long time, everything that the, the Pats do, the way they negotiate, the way that they, you know, talk to certain players stems from the way Tom did things. So if Tom, you know, wasn't the highest paid player, like how could I be the highest or even close? Like how could I come close on a contract when the best quarterback of all time is taking a pay cut? Not really because he's wanting to win. So you want to win football games. And there is some truth to the the Super Bowl runs with, you know, how they pay guys and the money that they had in the salary cap. But, um, you know, I think they're going to have the most salary cap space of any team next year. They're going to be top five. A million from yeah so like the, the whole cap thing you know they have space right now they have a you know 22 million or something right now so um you know i think bill's frustrated a little bit with the way things have gone this year um it's got to be frustrating to coach and to be a player in this covid world with getting tested and losing guys and not knowing who's available um but yeah i think you're seeing a different different bill without having the high tower the chung you have dev you have the mccordy twins that you know, those, those guys are your veterans. Those guys are your leaders, but up front, you know, the D line, the, the linebackers, like they're all young. They don't really have any, any vet guys, leader guys on, in, on the team that they can just kind of watch and observe. The coaching staff has trained, changed dramatically in the last few years. Um, you know, you lose B flow, who's a very, very good coach. Brendan Daly, who was my D line coach, went to Kansas city, wins another super bowl. That guy's got tons of them now, tons of rings, but you know, you lose Matty P, um, you lose Pat Graham, you lose um, uh, Boyer, Boyer. Now he's the DC in, in Miami. Um, so you, you lose guys that you don't really have to necessarily tell 
you know, Pat Graham, who's the DC in New York, Joe judge, who's the head coach in New York, Maddie P the head coach in Detroit, uh, B flow, the head coach in Miami, you don't have to tell those guys like, Hey, this is how I want you to coach this technique. This is how I want you to, to present this to these guys. Like he's dealing with new coaches. He's dealing with a, a different staff. He's dealing with new players, a new quarterback to where he's going to have, he, he has to treat cam differently than he did. Tom, you know, those guys are two different players. Tom is probably motivated by being told, nah, that wasn't very good. Like, you're all right. You're okay. Yeah. You know, Tom gets pissed off. Tom goes out there. He has a great game. Yeah. Cam, now I feel like, I don't know him personally, but I feel like if you, you know, you, you said something negative, he might kind of go in the, in, in the downward direction. So you see a lot of praise. You see Bill, like no one's been better than Cam. Nobody's been working harder than Cam. Yeah. You know, Cam does all the, 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 you know, everyone loves Cam, great relationships in the locker room, you know, so there's different ways. And that's, the thing that a coach has to do, you have to yeah. understand your players. Number one, you have to understand how do I motivate Rob Ninkovich to give me the best performance on Sunday that I possibly can get out of him. And if that's insulting him, if that's pulling his rep backs, like, you know, reps out like Winovich, like Chase Winovich, let's, let's pull him out. Let's see if this puts a spark under him. Yeah. I, I, I got to ask you this and jump in because Chase Winovich, second round guy, um, sorry, second year guy out of Michigan. And he's really turned up and showed himself as the Patriots defensive line for the most part. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, has been really kind of been able to set the edge and for the most part, for most of the games. But I mean, the, the defensive pressure to get to the quarterback has been tough. And we saw that about five times last night that no one could just get their hands on Deshaun Watson. There was five guys around him and they couldn't touch him. Now, uh, Chase Winovich, in a sense, is, um, been one of their best pass rush guys, but I think that they're, is there too much, is there so much of a, you know, coming on too strong, too young to say that like, at least their ego is becoming more of a factor than their football, than, than, than the football that's playing, being played on the field. I think is Chase Winovich really going to be a guy that's going to stick around for a while. I think he needs to be 255, 260. Um, you know, he's 240. 238 right now. I bet she's in his two. I bet she's 235 right now. Yeah. Um, so when you're that light, I, I I played at 265. I know it was a different time, but if you can be on the field on every down and set the edge and be a force on the running downs to where the other team says, look, we can't run this way. We're going to have to figure out another way to go. We're going to have to do some some gadget play or reverse the revert run or reverse or go the opposite way. You know, with the way the Patriots are playing defense right now, they really don't have a guy that's like a thumper that stops the run, you know, and, and Chase, I think he has, he flashes at times in, in the pass rush, like he can get to the quarterback, but to be a guy that's like an impact player and, and consistently, consistently doing it week in and week out, I think he needs to be a little bit heavier just based on what he's going against. You're going against 320 pound monsters. Yeah. Um, and the game, the tight ends are like, there's not a tight end in the league that can block. I'll say it. There's not a tight end in the league that could block me right now. Okay. Like I could probably throw every tight end around right now. And I haven't played in a long time. So 
when you look at the way the game has changed the fields I, the, next, the next dan and ninko show yeah right put me in i thought i said i'll put a helmet i'll smack somebody yeah it doesn't affect me. <laughs> i'd like to see that i'll come down i'll come down with um, my camera and see I'm still it 255 but uh i'm not as strong as i used to be i don't i don't lift like i used I'm, to but. i'm a slim 130 can we deal with that <laughs> yeah, or no? yeah. yeah it's perfect um <laughs> uh, are we underestimating what lawrence guy can do on the defensive line i know that the patriots no, have constantly picked out names that are semi nobodies and made them into somebodies and that's kind of been their mo over the last couple of years and there hasn't really been a huge name as of late that's um, like the, Patriots, to the forefront except for lawrence guy are we underestimating no, it? no lawrence lawrence is a really good football player very technically sound um but when you play defense for the patriots you have to have a unit that when you're on the football field and you guys are out there you have to have Un, you don't even have to really think about the guy next to you. You don't have to, you, you know, and you trust that the guy next to you is going to do what he's supposed to do. And you're going to do what you're supposed to do. And when you all do that collectively, that's when you make a lot of plays. Yeah. So when they had, you look at the Patriots defense, you know, when I was there with me, Mayo, hi, um, uh, Jamie Collins. Yeah. Ben Andrew Jones. Like think about that front. Think about this front. Yeah. It was me, Vince Wilfork. Uh, Chandler Jones, Drod Mayo, Dante Hightower, Drod Mayo, uh, McCourty was in the back, Revis, Browner. I mean, like, yeah, young, like that's that's defense because when you have guys that are all working together, and like me and Chan, like, so even like pass rush, for example, one guy, unless you're a complete freak, like, unless you're an absolute animal and you can just beat your guy over and over and over again. It's very rare to find guys that can do that. You need a defense to where you can run great games. So, for example, me and Hightower and Chandler, if we ran a three-man game, I knew that Chandler was going to do a great job of selling it. I knew that High was going to do a great job of selling it and doing what he's supposed to do. I knew that I would run up, touch the tackle, show him my attention with my eyes because the first thing a tackle does is when they don't see you looking at them, they look at where you're looking because they know something's up. So it's all about the game within the game. Yeah. And when you can do that, then you make plays, they make plays because guys start to miss blocks. And that's just, you think about Trey Flowers, for example. Trey yeah. Flowers was here for a couple of years, did a great job of doing everything schemed up. They ran great games. You had- He's uh, in Seattle now, isn't he? No, uh, you're thinking of the different Flowers. Your Trey Flowers went to, he was the DN here, went to the Lions for- Oh, he went to the Lions, but yeah. there's another, there's a different Flower, sorry. Trey Flowers, another Flowers is with- is a Another cool Flowers, one. yeah, because yeah. I was like, wait a minute, I thought Trey Flowers went to, yeah, because I've yeah. never- but So like he was here, yeah. so a lot of guys, like when they're in this system, it's a very, it's very much so the way that they, they play all situations, they know how to rush on third down, yeah. the game plan, it's- and when I watch games like the Colts, for example, I watch the Colts against Packers, the Packers against Rodgers. They are a spot drop. Do what they do defense to where they're not game planning. They're not game planning Aaron Rodgers. They're not they're not game planning uh, Devontae Adams. They're just going to do what they do. And they're going to hope that their front four, just like the Giants, when they beat the, the Patriots in 07 and, tw and 12, just like that. We're going to play our defense. We're going to have four rushers and that's it. But the Patriots on the flip side of that with Bill Belichick every single week, they're like, okay, we're playing Watson. Okay. What are we going to do? 
Well, we can't run up the field and let him step up in the pocket, and run for first down. So you got to bull rush him. You got to make sure he stays in the pocket. We're going to game plan the, the the secondary. How are we going? Who are we going to roll to? You know, where are we covering? Where's our doubles? Um, all those things go into game planning. And the Patriots have game plan better than most teams. And the last, I mean, the record speaks for speaks for itself with the how they've been able to stop certain players, certain quarterbacks. You can go down the list. You know, when you play Peyton Manning at the end of his career, when he really couldn't throw the ball down the field, what do you do? You, you make sure that you break the pocket because if you get somebody in front of him, it's hard for him to step into his throws. And when you can't step into your throw and you kind of have an arm that isn't as strong as it used to be, the ball's going to float a little bit. It's not going to get there with zip. Yeah. We played them here at home. It was windy. We won the toss. I was out there on the field. We win the toss and it's windy. And Bill says, we're going to kick. We're going to kick to them. And me and uh, me and was, I was with Slater. We're like, we're kicking? What do you mean we're kicking? And he wanted to kick with the wind to where we were going to kick deep. They get the ball in the 20. The wind is like 25 to 30 miles an hour in, in Peyton Manning's face. He literally couldn't throw the ball 10 yards down the field. He couldn't throw it. So that's just like the, the game of Bill and like understanding, okay, like we're just, if, if we take the ball, they're going to kick it and we're going to have to throw it into the wind. If we kick them the ball, they're going to be going into the wind. They're going to go three and out. We're going to get the ball and we're going to win the game. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So it's just crazy how that happens, how that works. Do you like Kyle Duggar playing closer to the line? I know we saw that um, a couple of times. And I mean, I know he's a young kid and he's just a rookie, but again, he's well, a 24 year old rookie. You were saying that at the beginning. Oh yeah. You know, it was better if you're 24 and you're coming into the league, but I mean, yeah. now that just seems ancient. What can you assess about this young safety? That's over the defense and. He's like a hybrid. I, I see him as like a hybrid guy that can cover, but then he, you can bring him into the box and he can come down and hit somebody. Um, and in today's modern NFL, the way that we watch games and the way that the offenses are run, it's a very light, not a physical game anymore. I mean, if you were to take a team right now and bring them back to say 2006, like, mm -hmm. The, the physical style of play has completely changed. There's no fullbacks. Your linebackers used to be 250, 260. Now they're yeah. 220, 230. Your safeties are all about speed. Everything's about speed because these offenses are spread out. Yeah. And the Patriots, like when they won their last Super Bowl against the Rams, how did they morph and how did they change to beat all these teams? Well, they just said, all right, we're just going to go old school. We're going to go 22 personnel. We're going to run the football at you and your light defense, your light ass DNs that run up the field and your light 230 pound linebackers can't stop the run. So I like his, I like the ability for him to be able to play the pass in the passing game, to cover guys out of the backfield, your backs, you know, your backs nowadays are kind of like catch and run guys. Like, yeah. um, like we've done here. Um, so, like James, like James White, for example, he's a catch and run type back. So, you know, I used to, I used to mess all the, like me and James used to laugh all the time because he'd be wide and in our, in the defense, like if there's a, a blitzer or if it's man coverage and I'm the end guy and the back releases, I just take him. He's my guy. Cause I'm trying to help out cause you can get picked. So James would be like 
outside a tackle box. I'm like, oh man, he's going to release. I'm, I'm going to have to cover him. And I'd be like, James, hey, you are you running a route? He'd be like, yep, I'm running a route. I'm like, damn, all right. So he hit me with like a James White stick, you know, angle route and build yell at me because he'd beat me. But it didn't bother me. So the one at the end of the day, the one thing that I would say, if you miss a tackle, if you can't cover a guy that can't be covered by safeties, yeah, I'm completely fine with that. Like you yell at me for not covering a uh, Reggie Bush in his prime or McCoy in his prime on an angle route when yeah. the safety behind me can't cover him. So yeah, I just think I think the Patriots right now they're just trying to search for, you know, they they're trying to find the guys that fit the type of defense that they want to run. Um, and they don't, they're, they're kind of short on personnel. You know, they yeah. don't have, they don't have personnel. They can't even run hippo or rhino and that, that hippo or rhino just for people are probably like, what is Rob talking about? That's like a run stopping defense. Like okay. with yeah. certain one, uh, they call rhino, you go out on the field, you know, like, Hey, we're stopping the run. Yeah, they, they can't even do that. They don't even have the personnel to do that. Well, that was what I was wondering last night. It's like why they couldn't get pressure on on Deshaun Watson. And I mean, yeah, he's an explosive guy. He can make plays with his arm and he can make plays with his feet. But like, why weren't they stacking the box to put more blitz? Well, like, it was just it was so blatant. It was like, why can't we do that? Like, is that a personnel thing? So the problem, like, look, you live by live by the blitz, die by the blitz. Yeah, exactly. So if you're gonna blitz a guy like Deshaun, he's gonna get the ball out of his hands. And when you have, um, you know, they had some injuries. The Texans lost. I think Tate went down with a toe injury. Yeah. Um, they lost. Well, the whole right side of their, of that and, offensive line, plus uh, Laramie Tunsil on the left side, left yeah. tackle. That, yeah. So they, I was anticipating them to be able to get after the quarterback a little bit better. Yeah, but Me too. But when they have a, a quarterback that's a scrambling guy and gets out of the pocket, yeah. I know for a fact, because I've been there a million times, Bill doesn't want you running up the field and running past the quarterback because the worst place to be is behind the quarterback. Cause when you're behind him, he can step up, he can get out of the pocket and those guys in the back end, you know, they're, they're getting paid to cover for three to four seconds. Anything beyond that, like it's too long. You can't cover a guy for beyond three seconds. It's just so impossible. So um, they, they had to bull rush a lot, condense the pocket, try and make him throw from a tight space from a phone booth. Yeah. And they just, they weren't able to do that. I saw a lot of three-man rushes too with like a floater where the floater, once the, the quarterback kind of establishes where he's at, then you come and add in. But um, when you have that much time, it's really, really hard. Kind of like the page. You look at the way that the Texans played the Pats on defense. They would give Cam like all his deep passes or all any of his like really successful plays on offense. He had a three-man rush, and they took care of the pass rushers, and he was able to throw. I think he had like a, a non-blitzing um, plays. A non-blitzing plays, Cam Newton was like quarterback rating of 124. On all blitzing plays, I think his quarterback rating was 68. Wow. So you, there was a very, very stark difference in when he was blitzed, when he wasn't blitzed. And at the end, I was texting I was texting Dan O'Brien because Dan O'Brien was like, oh, they're going to win this one. I said, they're going to blitz – they're going to blitz the shit out of them right now. Yeah. And the, the one thing that you want to see is a little bit more awareness to, okay, this guy just gave away his blitz and now I need to change the play. I don't think the Pats can do that. I don't think they, they have the, I don't think they have the quarterback that's going to say he's coming check, check, check. We're running this. We're on a different play. Like when you would play, 
Drew Brees, when you would play Peyton Manning and we would practice against Tom Brady, the number one rule on those guys, when you play a guy like that, don't show your cards. Do not show them. Don't show them what you're going to do. If you're blitzing, hold your water. That was one of the, hold your water, hold your water, be patient. Don't show them you're coming. Cause the second you take that step, he gives you a hard count. You take a step. He goes, uh, 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 Hey, 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 ba 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 Larry, Larry. Da, da, da. And then guess what? It's a, it's a first down. So it, I think the Patriots that across the board, offensively, defensively, they just don't have the pieces right now. So, all right, the biggest question going forward, the Patriots are undergoing a major extreme makeover for the next season. The playoff hopes are out of reach. What's the one thing that they have to address first and foremost? Is it the defensive line? Is it the secondary? Is it quarterback? It's got to be it's got to be the quarterback position. Yeah. Um, you know, and is Cam Newton the answer because I know a lot of people are saying I just they really missed out this offseason on the free agent class and I know that Bill was kind of coy to even just kind of, I mean, explore the options because they felt, Hey, if we have Jared Stidham for former fourth round pick and they, I do, do you think that they regret not going into the off season um, with a surefire quarterback? Are you, are you kind of disappointed that they overlooked the quarterback position so cavalierly? I mean, I, I, I think that number one, at that point, before the guys opted out, they didn't have they didn't have the money to go spend. And you, you look, oh, I know, yeah, they only had like a million dollars. Yeah. They only had a million bucks and those guys opted out and it saved them a bunch of money, but I know there's things they can do. And that's the one thing too, that you realize there's ways to finagle and you, you, there's other teams that have gone over the cap. And I think it's like a, you have to be under the cap for three year or a three year span. Your, your average has to be at or below. And mm-hmm. there's some teams that have gone over, but then the next year they, they make sure that they clear house and then they, they figure it out to where they're under or at it. But um, there's always ways that they can do it. There's, there's tons of ways that people have done it in the past. Um, But I was surprised that they didn't have a game plan because you knew that after when the Texans or not the Texans, when Tennessee beat the Patriots in the playoffs, you kind of knew it felt like, all right, this, I don't think uh, this just feels like Tom is not going to be here. So Um, unless they felt that there's no way that that's going to happen or they had more confidence in Stidham and they felt like he was the answer. Um, you know what I'm saying? That's just the one thing. Yeah. That I'm surprised that they haven't, because at at a certain point they're going to have to evaluate their, their roster on what do we have here to work with for next year? Yeah. So if, and when there's a point in the season that, Things don't look like there's ever there, there's not a chance in the division because the division they can still win the division, which sounds crazy. They I think I think they're two and one right now. Really, they're two and one in the division. The the Dolphins just lost, so that helps them. Uh, Buffalo's got to lose one one of these games here, but yeah. I mean honestly, there's a there is a way, but. I'm surprised that Stidham at some point, because there's a difference when your quarterback's struggling, when Cam was struggling, and they said, hey, Stidham, like, you're in now. Yeah. The difference between coming in during the game and being named the starter for a week of practice to where you have a full week of prep, you have a full week of reps, you have a full week with the first team, because when you're not the starter, you're basically coming in for, like, maybe four snaps 
maybe four snaps with the first team. And then the rest of the time you're on the scout team, you're running all the cards of the other team. They're holding up a card and you're just throwing the ball where they're telling you to. Yeah. So I want to see what they have in Stidham. And I wouldn't be shocked. I've said this before. They were so high on Garoppolo. And when the Garoppolo came in here and whooped their ass, when they, when he beat them up, you know, I can't remember a time where Bill walked over to the opposing quarterback after a biggest loss ever at home and tapped him on his back and just congratulated him on a win. I can't remember that. So um, it wouldn't shock me if Jimmy G wasn't with San Francisco next year. And then he had another opportunity back here because I know Bill likes, I know Bill loves Jimmy G. Yeah. I think that would appease a lot of people back in this area too yeah. and there's yep. been a lot of whispers i mean i'm just hoping that whatever the patriots do it's not so much of a secret that it comes out the blue you know i yeah. know a lot of people are everyone and i said this in, in podcast past i said the fact of the matter that cam newton was struggling or is struggling and everyone takes a microscope to him game by game they really need to step back and evaluate the quarterback situation as a whole for the season and it's- i i think i mean the people that are saying like, Hey, are you going to take a flyer on Jameis Winston? Or what about Sam Darnold on this team? Like, I'm just hoping that whatever the Patriots do, it's not so much of a surprise. Like people, yeah. it's not coming out of left field. Like, Oh, we're picking up Josh McCown off the Eagles practice squad, you know, and you know, yeah. he's going to be our starting quarterback. I hope that this offseason it's, it's calculated and more people know, and there's leaks. I mean, so the, the as a consensus, the Patriots fans at least can get a, get a sniff of what the future is like, because this team cannot lose like this for much longer. And, uh, you know, having Jimmy Garoppolo back here, I think that would make a lot of people happy. And to be honest, as much heat as Bill's gotten the last week, two weeks, three weeks, since he's come out and said all the things that he has to say, and they've looked at the salary cap, why are they spending money? Like, okay, Jimmy Garoppolo, is he's, he's worth the 20 million that you're going to have to spend to get a franchise quarterback for the next few years. Yeah. They're going to have to spend money at us. They're going to have to spend the money. So I think at the end of the day, I'm from, I'm from the old school football mentality. I want a quarterback that puts me in the perfect play against what the defense shows you. Yeah. And if you, if, if I'm the coach and I give you a play and you go out there because at the end of the day, the coaches, they, they're not on the field. Mm-hmm. They're just calling in the play. If the coaches give you a play and you go out on that football field and that play looks like it's not going to work because they're blitzing you or there's whatever coverage they're showing you. I want a quarterback that can say, check, check, yo, 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 you bumble and change it and, and give me the proper play. Audible. The proper play. I don't know. I don't think Cam Newton is that. I think Cam Newton is a call to play, comes in the huddle, he runs the play. That's that's what Cam Newton is. And also, I want a quarterback that can throw the ball not to an not to his wide receiver's feet. Consistently, cons- I want a consistently accurate quarterback. So if you can run and scramble for a first down, eh, that's great. That's an added bonus. Yeah. If you can drop back, hit your back foot and throw a consistently accurate ball, that's what a quarterback is throwing the ball with accuracy. And, you know, like in the broadcast, the, the broadcasters were comparing like Cam and they were complaining to the comparing Deshaun. And I'm like, Cam back in the day was very, very athletic. Like yeah. 
He's very, very athletic guy, big physical can run. He never was a great passer. Like when we would play Cam Newton, I remember it because I've missed him. I've missed him plenty of times. And I don't feel, I don't have any shame. I miss Cam Newton. He's a big dude. A lot of people have missed Cam Newton. When we would go into that game plan, we'd say, just make him throw from the pocket. Yep. Make him beat us throwing the football. So if he can't do that, which a lot of teams, I'm I'm sure Romeo Cornell, that's why he had a lot of three-man rushes with now. He wasn't blessing. He's like, yeah, let him, let him throw the ball. Let him drop back, evaluate the field, find the open receiver and throw the ball on target. And I'm going to bet that more times than not, maybe that ball is not perfectly thrown. And I think that's the one thing that the Patriot fans in the the Pats nation are, they're spoiled. And, you know, you had Tom Brady here for a very long time. We are accustomed to a spread, fast moving. You could go no huddle. Um, One minute left in the game, you knew like, man, we got, we got a chance because we got Tom Brady. Yeah. I, know, all right, so probably, I, they really don't even run no huddle because you can't they can't even run no huddle so, i think there was one game that they ran a hurry up and that was what a couple of weeks ago so you you have game. to have a, a quarterback who can throw the ball accurately consistently and yeah. if you can't run if you get a quarterback that's i mean shoot who's a guy that can't run there's plenty of them that can't run um but they consistently can throw the football give me give me fitz magic give me fitzpatrick if you can't find somebody at least I know that he's going to, he's going to come out here. He's, he's, he understands defense. He understands how to scan the field. I know he threw a pick for the almost, he threw a pick and they lost, but you know, I just don't think he's the guy. I mean, you mentioned a lot of things and I will roll into like my 15 questions with Nank. And then I want to get some other funny shit. (laughs) Um, Go drink a glass of water. I need water. Hold on. (laughs) Okay. Time out on this podcast. And in that sense, this podcast is now brought to you by Bunny James Boxes. I'm and back. I'm good. I'm doing an ad read. Have you heard about Bunny James Boxes? Did you like my Instagram story? Bunny James Boxes. I don't know if I saw it. I- okay. So basically, our sponsor uh, for the show mm-hmm. is called Bunny James Boxes. It's um, a small a small mission brand snacks that mm-hmm. are healthy snacks that might be fit to anyone that your loved ones like allergies if someone's keto if someone's vegan gluten-free nut-free and they put it all in one box so like all those really expensive snacks that you see at whole foods awesome. it all fits into one box and they're gift boxes so hey say that you know your mom is you know she's super sad she can't get her hair done and she's at home and she's like i can't leave the house because you know my hair is so loud and gray and you know you just want to make her feel better so you go to bunnyjamesboxes.com and you pick out a box for her and it sends right to your door. And if you use the code bat signal 15, you get 15% off and free shipping. So sounds lovely. I'm going to have to, lovely. I'm going to have to get a few and send them out. Yeah. Oh, you'd be helping us out greatly. All right. So kind of the second half of this podcast. Well, first of all, I just want to bring this up before we get into it. You don't have to even like get into a lengthy response, but okay. Cam is not a pure pocket passer. And mm-hmm. that's what we've seen. The, the struggles of him not being able to you know, to run a hurry up in a two-game drill, a two-minute drill uh, down the stretch of a game, but also too, I'm really putting a lot of the blame on Josh McDaniels. And there was a point in the season, at least for me, when I'm looking and I'm just like, he really seemed to struggle with the concept of running a Tom Brady run offense. Yeah. And I can't imagine how hard it's been for him to kind of walk into a facility and you know, in a new team and. Um, you know, really acquiesce to an offense that's not really part of his game. 
And, you know, having Josh run these trick plays that, you know, just to even move the ball, like why hasn't, why is Josh still trying to make him play, uh, play a game that's not his own? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I, I think in the Texans matchup, they were the 32nd ranked defense on stopping the run. Yeah. Um, they, they literally haven't stopped anybody in the running game. And you look at the Patriots and the game plan, they came out, they ran the ball, then they stopped running the ball. They, they ran the ball well. Then they we wanted to throw, I think there was like, a, that when they, the first series where they drove the field and they scored, I was like, okay, like that looks nice. The next series after the, the Houston Texans come back and they score seven, seven, the next series, they come out, they throw two incomplete passes and then it's third and long. You're like, okay, like what happened to running the football? So I'm a little confused on this game plan. Um, you look at the Ravens game plan, maybe it needs to be raining and just like gross to where they're like, all right, let's just run the football over and over and over again because the Ravens matchup, they ran the football over and over and over again. And that is basically how they can set up a lot of their play action pass. And it, they, they weren't able to do that. So I'm sure Josh, you know, he's trying to make chicken salad with chicken poop. You know what I'm saying? So he's trying to do the best that he can with what he has. Um, yeah. They have a great offensive line. I think the Patriots have one of the best three interior guys, the guards in the center. Are those three dudes are, are beasts? I don't think Tooney, Tooney's probably going to be gone because somebody's going to pay him a lot of money. Yep. Um, David Andrews, he might be gone too because he's on his contract year and, and somebody's going to want to pay him too. So they have a lot of big decisions to make offensively that not just the quarterback spot, but for Josh to have some good chicken to make good chicken salad, like they're going to have to go spend some money. Um, I'm almost wondering if they are putting Damian Harris on a pitch count because he had 43 yards total in that game. And it was like, yeah, they were, they were grinding. They was running this guy into the ground, but I think he finished with about 11 rushes. So I, it makes me wonder if they, that's the reason. I mean, cause this kid's been you know, running like a bat out of hell. Of course they activated Tony Michelle and then they deactivated him, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, it makes me wonder. All right. Well, let's get, I, I mean, here was the biggest thing for you to say was that, um, you know, you knew everything that you could get from Tom Brady. Um, and it makes me wonder it, that game last night with the Chiefs and the Raiders, it was what a month when they had a, like a minute 40, the Raiders scored too fast. They yep, left a minute 40 on the clock or I mean, it was a two minute drill. It was too, uh, too little time. Yep. And it's just the inevitability of Patrick Mahomes. That's, you know, he can, whip balls across his body to the other side of the field. He's unpredictable. He's hard to guard. And now it's all of a sudden like so predictable that he's going to score and win the game. You know, the wins are starting to feel unexciting. And that reminds me of a guy that I used to know that used to be on this team. So mm -hmm. who had more inevitability in their prime? Was it Patrick Mahomes or is it Tom Brady? I mean, I, I think that, it's hard to go against Tom Brady because the things that he's been able to do, having won the amount of games and the yardage that he's thrown for. I want to say if you put Ty Tyreek Hill, uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, Sammy Watkins, if you put those guys with Tom in his prime, like I think that there'd be a lot of fireworks going on. Um, so 
you, it's really hard to compare those two guys as far as like where they would be. But Pat Mahomes, I do know this. He is a modern day. He's the modern day pocket passer. So what I mean by that is he can throw all over the field accurately and he can move and he can get out of certain situations, which is really hard for a defense to, to rush and cover when you have a quarterback that you don't really know where he's going to be in the pocket and then cover in the back end with a throw that is pinpoint down the field, accurate and a laser beam. So I think the things that Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, sorry, I don't want to upset his mother, Patrick Mahomes. I I think Patrick Mahomes, um, his future sky's the limit for the things that he's going to be able to do. Um, And it's really fun to watch. When I watch Pat Mahomes, I'm excited to watch every series. Like, what's he going to do? Is he going to do a no-look pass? Is he going to do something crazy, underhand a ball to somebody? He's always coming up with a new way to still make a first down or get more yardage and, and win games. So that's exciting. That's what that's what football is right now. It's it's exciting. Um, when, when I'm watching Tom right now, I'm excited, but I'm, like, nervous excited. I'm like, oh, come on, Tom. Like, don't get hit. Like, yeah. Tom more because Tom in Tampa, Tom has so many weapons in Tampa. Like Tom has been unbelievable. Like people are going to hate on Tom because he lost the games against the, the saints twice in the games that Tom has lost. I've done the research because I'm, I have to talk about it in the games where Tom has lost. He's been hit twice as many times and he's been under pressure twice as much in the games that he's lost in the games that he has won. He has been under less pressure. They protect him better. And he's been able to scan the field and throw the ball over the yard. So the Saints games, the Saints got after Tom. The Saints are number one in the NFL in sacks right now. I mean, they, they stacked, uh, in that quarterback and still win games because that defense is so damn good. Yeah, but they don't make they, the, the Saints don't create turnovers. I think they only they're like one of the worst teams in the NFL when creating turnovers. But they're one of the best teams in the NFL at stopping the run and getting after the quarterback. So. You know, they they at this point right now, the Saints are putting the pressure on teams and that's how they beat Tampa. And then you look at the other the Bears that beat Tom. The Khalil Mack was literally hitting Tom every other play. And Tom at one point was like looking at him and rolling his eyes and freaking out at the offensive line. So if Tampa wants to proceed and do well, yeah. this continue and have a shot, they need to protect Tom. If they can keep Tom upright. They're my pick to win the NFC, getting the getting the Super Bowl. But they need to protect Tom. That's what they need to do because everybody else in the NFC they don't scare me. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll get to that question when we get to contenders, pretenders. Do you like the empty stadium noise, or do you think it's a weird thing to see it? Stupid. Stupid. It's so stupid because, like, it's like the same tone the whole time, you know, like a real, real crowd. It goes up and down and it gets loud in certain points. And then it comes down like fake booing. They have a guy that just hits a button. It's like, and it's like, and I'm like, Oh, cut it. And you turn it off. So I think it's stupid. I think it's really dumb, but they're going to try and do whatever they can, I guess, to make well, it feel, you know, like they're in a real game. A lot of people are saying who are in the stadiums, the reporters, you can hear every single thing on the field. Yeah. Gotta keep your I'm lips sure. sealed. I know Diana Rossini has said that a couple of times. But there was a funny audible last night, which some of the people oh, like, like uh, Emmanuel, 
James Harden. James Harden, yeah. Yeah, so James Harden, and then I think Emmanuel Acho was one of the guys that he was dissecting it, that he, Derek Carr was screaming, James Harden, James Harden, because James Harden is a left-handed um, basketball player, so that they, you know, the Raiders were going to rush left. And then the same thing with Chris Mullins. Chris Mullins is a left-handed basketball player, so it was, you know, left or right, which is funny. I mean, everyone's like, really? Is there a play call of James Harden? What's, like, the funniest, weirdest, audible call you've heard on the field and has there ever been one that's like really made you laugh <laughs> uh i mean that's a tough one because i've heard a lot um i think man that they're putting me on the spot on that one i think tom like w- w- not in a real game like usually when you're playing another team like the audibles are they're all what a generic you know like left left la you know are uh ricky or roger um packer protection like you hear all these 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 terms um but i can remember one practice uh we were playing we were doing no huddle against tom and one of the calls one of the the audibles that he had um was he said ninko ninko 50 ninko 50 and like he looked at me and winked and i'm like punk like you're trying to get you like that's embarrassing a little bit because they're trying to have a successful play off of your name and they all know the play and it's either like make me look terrible and foolish or they're just trying to screw with me mentally because like when he said it i'm like why do they say in my name like that's messed up you know but uh they i don't think they brought that in the real game so i think that was just tom messing with me you know definitely was it could be like ningo linda linda like Ninko 50, Ninko 50, probably like then it would be like Ninko 50, we're gonna score on you right now. You know? Yeah, that's funny. Who has a better Hail Mary, like mid end zone or midfield? Is it Aaron Rodgers or Kyler Murray? Uh I'm going Rodgers. I don't know if you saw that throw last night. I know in the that's what I'm saying. That's in why the middle, like, the middle of the end zone. His, the back he was on his back foot in the end zone and threw it to the 50 yard line, like a per, with three people around him and he dropped it like right here. So Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray's too young. I mean, I got to go with Aaron Rodgers because he's just a Hall of Famer. What is the most unwise offseason financial investment or overlooking? Is it like, mm, you know, what, what, what is the worst thing that you can overlook? I'm talking really like uh, Patriots. No, I think uh, a lot of teams overlook um, special teams. And okay. you look at like some kicking situations around the league. Yeah, teams put themselves in a spot that is nobody really talks about the kicker and the things that are pretty much is going to win and lose the game for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I would say that the special teams side of things that nobody really talks about kicking, punting, that's all hidden yardage. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a smart team, you don't let guys go that are very good, like Robbie Gold. You know, Robbie Gold left the Bears. No, is he? No, he left the Bears and he went to San Francisco. And they wish if they had Robbie Gold, the Bears would have beaten the Eagles, and they yeah. wouldn't have the double doink. Double doink, yeah. I was at that game, by the way. They wouldn't have the double doink. They would have won that game, and they would be happy because they would have moved on, and they would have been in the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, it's. I definitely couldn't agree with you more. Um, I mean, it just makes me think about all the times that I, you know, Bill has just suddenly <laughs> made a punter move. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. is 
it was Ryan Allen. Oh my God, how could he get rid of Ryan Allen? Why does he have Jake Bailey? He's a right, he loves the left-footed punters. And I, for the most part for last year, Jake Bailey was like an MVP of the season late in the year, just based on field position alone. He's a beast. He's a beast. Yeah. Bailey's been a beast. So, yes. and Bill's a, deep down inside, Bill's a special teams guru. So he yeah. loves special teams. Are the Saints more dangerous with Taysom Hill at quarterback? Could they make a deeper run with him under center? Man, these are tough questions. I think that when the pressure and the games that matter most are on the line, Drew Brees would be your best option because what can Drew Brees be? The guy on the field that checks you in the perfect play against what the defense is showing you. Yeah. Jason Hill's still young. I know he can do some great things. We saw that he had a great game against the Falcons, but it was the Falcons and wasn't like a pressure situation where he had to make a throw or had to make a game time throw in, in with all the lights on. Um, so I'm going with Drew Brees at this point. He is a hall of famer. So Taysom is great. I like Taysom, but, um, I'm going with Drew. Whoa. Sorry. Who will riot more in the U S huh? this, this is a great, who will riot more if the Cowboys win the NFC East or if the Eagles do, uh, probably the, probably the Eagles, if they don't win. So no, if the Cowboys, the Cowboys given everything, which by the way, I think the Vikings are pretenders. I don't, don't, don't give me anything about, you know, Kirk cousins. And I, I never, I never would. 24 I, yards on the, on the ground. It's all Dalvin cook in that I game. Never, I, I never would give you anything on, on cousins. I I'm, I'm right with you on that one. He was a bust at Michigan state is a bust here. Not yeah. a not a Kirk Cousins fan. Yeah, um, he ain't hurting so, for gas though, so that's the one crazy thing. Yes, um, no, but yeah, my question. I mean, the, the Cowboys. There's obviously a three way tie for first. The Cowboys are half a game out of first. How? Don't there's three think, wins in that division. Do think that everyone will riot if the Cowboys win the East? I, I. So for me, I think that if the Cowboys win. The Eagles will riot because they're pissed that the Cowboys actually beat them and the division is so bad. Or to make things even better, what if the old ball team wins and uh, the Washington football team comes out with some crazy winning streak here and beats both of them? Because at the end of the day, they all suck. So it doesn't matter. Chase Young with an impressive hit yesterday that basically saved them the game. Yeah, Um, hit. All right. What's the one sub 500 team that's going to ruin someone's playoff chances. And I'm really just thinking like, it's going to be someone in the NFC East that's uh, just going to come out and whoever is just really deciding like, Hey, we're out of the, uh, we're out of the uh, division lead race here. We're just going to go shit on someone's playoff chances. Um, man, that's probably, uh, I'm thinking like the Ravens right now look like a team that, they're not going to win the division because we know the Steelers are going to be there. But if the Ravens happen to be in the wild card, that's a team you don't want to see because if they get hot and things start going their way, then look out because I feel like they can do it. And they're a pissed off team. You know, they lost, just lost two in a row. Yeah. I wouldn't want to play them. I wouldn't want to play them. So if they're one of the, if they're like the bottom seed, the last seed, like I'm like, please, I don't want to play the Ravens because if they do catch on because their defense is physical, they get after you. Yeah. They can win on defense. Back to the drawing board here. Back back to it. Back to it. Next question. Are you okay with the Dolphins benching Tua? And I like, I personally, I feel like nothing was solved because 
The Dolphins were on a three-game winning streak. Yeah, it seems like they're contending for the AFC East title or going to set up a matchup between them and the Bills at the end of the season. And, you know, it's all for one and one for all. And, all you know, uh, Tua basically comes in for Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's doing well. And then he gets benched for Fitz. And now everyone's like, well, what was the point if he was just going to start and Fitz is just going to come back? Like, are you okay with, you know, with B-Flow doing that? I'm okay with it because of the way that that game was going for him. Um, Tua was hit a lot. He was sacked three times, was on the ground a bunch of times. I think he threw for like 80 yards. Um, there was really no spark there. And I don't say you, I don't think you can do that consistently. You can't just bench your young starting quarterback game after game after game after they name him the starter. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that situation, I feel like he did get nicked up a little bit. He had a little knee. You know, he got sacked or got hit, I think it was, and his foot looked like it got caught in the turf, and it looked like he kind of maybe had an MCL, very light MCL sprain or something. Yeah, he was yeah. a little bit. Um, so I'm not totally against that move. I feel like sometimes you need a spark, and there really wasn't anything there. Um, but that's not going to happen often. That's like a rare occasion. They already named him the starter for next week. So I think that – in that particular situation, you have to read like the mood of the team and you have to read like what's going on. You can, you've seen the game in front of you. You've seen how things you were actually watching it un- unravel itself and Tua wasn't getting it done. And, and it, it just felt like when Fitz came in mm-hmm. and they moved the ball down the field, they got in scoring position and he threw a pick like, yeah, okay. He threw a pick, but at least he, he took a shot. He, they hung it out there and that's, kind of what you love about the guy, you know, Fitzpatrick, he gets a helmet to helmet. looks like he got, you know, hit on the head pretty hard. He gets back up. He's all grass stained. He's all excited. Let's go. Let's keep, let's keep moving this ball down the field. I thought he was going to win the game for him, but it didn't happen. So two was probably on the sideline. Like, yes, like, yeah, we do a pick. But um, when you watch an interview with Tua, he seems like a very, very mellow, uh, smart, player who he kept talking about the team, whatever the the team needs me to do, whatever coach thinks is the best for the team. That's what you want to hear. He wasn't sour about it. I think he has a lot of respect for Fitzpatrick, which he should. And and a lot of players do because he's a vet and he's played a long time in this league. So I don't think you question B flow. Um, I think that, Hey, in that particular matchup, they didn't have the juice. They were on the road in Denver. It's a tough place to play. I hated playing there. And you know, you throw another quarterback in there, you hope, because it's not like he was the backup or Fitzpatrick hadn't been the starter early in the season. Everyone knows what he can do and you you have the confidence in him. So um, I, I think that the Dolphins have an opportunity to win the division if their defense continues to make plays, creating turnovers. You know, I think this is their, in this game in particular, they intercepted the football. The first score Miami has is from interception return back to the five, and that sets two up for a touchdown pass. The week before that, they block a punt, sets up Miami on like the two, sets up two for a touchdown pass. So they have to play great complementary football defensively and special teams-wise to give the offense that hidden yardage field position win. And when you can win field position battle, it helps your quarterback, helps young quarterbacks. And football, at the end of the day, we know it's physical but it's more mental. It's in between here. It's in between the years. And if you lose confidence, 
that's one of the the most devastating things a young player can can do is lose the confidence in his abilities to I'm going to throw this ball on a tight window. I'm going to take off and run for a first down. When you start to think like, like that's when you get in trouble. So hopefully he hasn't lost any confidence. And I was surprised that they named him the starter, to be honest with you. Um, I don't necessarily know if that was a B flow move that has like upper management, like guys upstairs written all over it. But um, that was his move in the game. He, He went, he went with Fitzpatrick. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I'm okay with Tua starting. I feel like too, it's a lot of the decisions in Miami. It depends on, you know, who's paying those hundred thousand dollars a year for those season tickets. I've, you know, known of those people and they have a lot of influence on the team and something that's exciting. And, you know, remember that. Jalo made a phone call and said, start Tua. What? I said, Jalo made a phone call and said, start Tua. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mark Anthony. Yeah. Mark special, Anthony. Special requests. Yeah. Uh, they make jokes about that down in Miami, like with the media and all that. Stuff. Gloria all right. Estefan. Doesn't she own a little piece it's, too? It's Gloria, it's Gloria Estefan, Mark Anthony, Jennifer Lopez. And those are the big uh, Pipple are like the Whoa, big Pipple. pigs. Yeah. Yeah. So they called up, put two in. He's the, he's the <laughs> of our team. Huh? Has anyone ever done more with less than Matt Patricia? I have well, to say it. I mean, Maddie P. Maddie P. It's got man. That's a tough. Like earlier in the episode when I talked about the teams that no matter what, like it just continues to seem like it never yep. really has corrected itself. Detroit Lions. <laughs> that's one team that is just really tough because they have Matt Stafford, who I feel is a very, he's a very good quarterback. Um, but he's never won. He's never like been able to win because of the fact that there's management problems. And, you know, it, I felt that the lions had a chance when they hired Matty P and I went over there and I went over, I went through the facility and the changes that the, the family, the Ford family had made to the facility and done the things to help them become a winning and kind of turn the corner. I thought that they might, I thought this year they were going to do it. Um, but it's just, man, is, is it tough? And I, unfortunately, I don't know if Matty P is going to have another shot next year with that team. Um, yeah. I, I think it sucks for him, but it's all about through the right time and the right place and what you have on the roster and how quick and how quick can you flip a team into your culture and your mentality? Kind of like Vrabel. You think about Vrabel. Vrabel went to the Tennessee Titans after they had basically already made the playoffs the year before yeah. they fired the head coach. So they had so many pieces in place for the, for the Tennessee Titans to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, you bring in Ryan Tannehill, that works out for you. You already had a great O line. You had, a, you had Derrick Henry running the football. So you look at Matty P he came into a situation where they were really in a bad spot for a long, long time. So it's really hard for them to correct the ship. Last year, I felt he had a bad shape or a bad shape because Stafford was out basically almost the whole year with a back issue. Um, so it's unfair. Is life fair? No, but has Matty P been paid handsomely? Sure. He has, he'll be a DC somewhere. You know, if he's not a head coach there, he'll be a DC somewhere. He's got a job. He might be back here. You never know. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Under the under the Bill Belichick umbrella, it seems to be he, they seem to be protected. 
I would even worry oh, if Josh they, McDaniels they, went they off. You a job somewhere, you know? Yeah. Is Cliff Kingsbury really all that in a bag of chips? I feel like he's a bro, man. Like, you hear his interviews. He's like, yo, yo, dude's just played really well. He must be – he's a Texas kid, right? He sounds like Dola. Kenny Amendola. He sounds like Dola. He's like, best friends. Yeah, he sounds Dola, like Dola. Dola. Yeah, like, you know, Dola goes out to Arizona and they hang out and they're in his crazy house with the glass everywhere in the fireplace when it's 105 degrees. Um, bro, like, we just played really well today, dialed it up for the boys. They went out there, they balled. They balled. I don't know who had that play. I, I mean, I just set it up and, and they went out there and they played. That, that, that's at the end of the day. That's what they did, man. It was great. Like, you see, he's just, he's a bro. He's a bro. Oh my god! It's like, hey man, I don't really forget. I don't really remember what happened on the last. Yeah, game. I don't know what happened on that. Uh, I'll have to watch that again. I don't know. Man. That gummy, that gummy hit me at halftime. I don't know. <laughs> it was hella good, man. Hella good. <laughs> yeah. I'm dying. Oh god. Who did? Well, okay. Who did you get into more trouble with? Was it the wide receiver core? That little uh, Zach and Slater duo that we just mentioned, or was it Chris Long? Uh, I don't know. I I got in trouble probably with. Mm, I'd say the younger, the younger, the younger duo. So the 2010 Julian Edelman, Jules in those younger years, we uh, I probably got in more trouble with them. Chris, at the end, we were like older, more mature. Uh, you know, that was that was at the end of the career, so we had. We had definitely matured at that point, and we weren't making we weren't making any mistakes in life at that point. Yeah. Do you feel like I wanted to ask you this? Do you feel like it's um, it made your decision easier to retire at a younger age because you were married, or uh, you know, I, these kids like I don't like like Julian's not he's not married. You know, I mean, I, I think that the kids the kids put you in a different mindset when you have children. Um, I always told myself when I was able to support my family, you know, and I knew that I had put enough away for them that everyone would be comfortable that I didn't want to continue to put myself in a spot where I could have a long-term issue. So, um, after 16, we won the Super Bowl. I evaluated everything. I looked at my contract. I'm like, all right, what am I going to wait? What am I going to make next year after taxes? Is it worth me getting hit in the head a million times? I was like, eh. I'm good. So, you know, it's, everything is risk versus reward. Um, if you, if you put me in the ring with Mike Tyson for a dollar, I wouldn't do it. If you pay me five mil, I'd probably get in there. And if I got knocked out, eh, you get knocked out, but I'm, I'm okay for it. Cause I, I, at the end of the day, I just banked two five after taxes. So, um, I think it, everything you do is is risk versus reward. Having the family and kind of like those other people that I have to worry about down the road. Because, you know, in 10 years from now, in 20 years, there's, the Patriots aren't going to help me out if anything happens to me. So it's going to be the yeah. kids and my wife. So you just have to be real with, with where you're at. And at that point in my career, I was ready. Thank you. I had a great run, 11 years. Got, my, got everything I needed, a couple rings. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Now we're going to get to the part of the show to wrap this up. I found a list of 250 random questions that actually were really phenomenal. Okay. And 
I'm gonna, I was gonna send this to you before, but you can totally use this on your podcast as well. By the way, the Dan and Nico show. The Dan and Nico show. We do a lot of, ours is more like laid back. We drink beer. We might have 200 people watch it, but it's okay. It's all about you know what though? First of all, I asked you to do a podcast when I did this, when I did the gig at ESPN this summer, they were like, oh my God, we love you. Let's bring you. And I was like, all right. Going down to Bristol. That would have been that would have been a great gig, but the Dan Dan hooked me up with a sweet ass ride, so it was really hard for me to turn turn I know, down. I, I asked you. I wound up getting a, a 2018 Volkswagen Tiguan. That's perfect. Fully loaded. You, I love my you, car. I feel like a Volkswagen fits you really well. Just well, my first car ever. Oh, so oh, we, you know, first of all, my dad and I make fun of you all the time because of your cars. I do have but, a lot of. But my dad, I told him like, I'm like, dad, I'm like, Ningo, like he has this ridiculous. And I showed him the pictures and he goes, I used to have that car. And he loves it. He's like rallying it off. So, you know, I might hate the cars on the, you know, from the outside. I might criticize you. The money, my father, pit? the money pits. My, my, I call it your money pit. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I'm living in a money pit right now. <laughs> my apartment is a money pit. Um, no, so I got to show you this. Um, but I'll ask you, what's your first... Um, what was your what was your first car? So my first car was a a Volkswagen Golf. It was a five speed automatic. I only drove cars that were that were manual, manual stick shift. Yep. Yeah, so that was like my whole trick. They like yeah, ask me a funny question. Right there. I only I only drive stick. You know, <laughs> um, I did that until I lived in Miami. Actually, five six years ago, my I had two Mini Coopers, and they were both six speed automatics. I'm uh, sorry, manuals. Manuals. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what was your first car? My first car was down the street. There was a shitty 1987 Mustang four cylinder. Good year, 1987. 1987 Mustang. Uh, it was canary yellow. The guy yeah. painted it in his garage, and it was a thousand dollars. That was my first car. Yeah. Wow. That's and it awesome. had a terrible exhaust leak, so I had to keep the window cracked, or else I'd. Otherwise, Poisoning. Poisoning, yes. I got to show you this picture. So on the, on the subject of that, um, so my dad has basically broken down. He he collects motorcycles, so he rides motorcycles and collects. Yep. He so showed me this picture, and I just was like, give, give me send me this picture. So you think that you're good with cars? So this is my father when he was 16 years old. Hold on. I see it. Oh wow. So they put two cars together on top of each other. Do you see the top of the sign? I see it. Yeah. Prohibition is out. So this is him and his buddies. My dad's all the way over there on the right, right here. Yeah. And they put two cars. They manufactured it was like a it was like a fun show. And they put two cars on top of each other and the thing actually rode. So I feel like uh it looks like Grease Lightning right there from Greece. Like, wow. yeah. yeah, no, I it literally that's I mean, yeah, my dad, that's exactly what it is. All <laughs> right. So I'm gonna have you pick, I don't know, what's your favorite number? Let's see. Well, I want you to pick um, let's do six numbers between two one and 250 six numbers between one and 250 yeah we'll do six questions we'll fist, yeah six okay. random numbers okay. between one and okay. 250 uh 13 yeah we will do 50 yeah. might as well um 21 yeah let's go uh 84 yeah was born and let's go 100. Okay. All right. You don't want to tap out the other ones. Mm -hmm. All right. So question 13. 
<laughs> what are three items you could buy together at the grocery store to make the cashier laugh? Together? Yes. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> uh, how about uh, a banana, condoms, and KY jelly? <laughs> how <about> that? Excellent <laughs> choice. Okay. Uh, question 50. Uh, what is <laughs> these are so funny. What would be the absolute worst name you could give to your child? Oh, <laughs> Dick Richard. Sorry, anyone named Richard? Sorry, but Dick, <laughs> Dick, Dick Ninkovich. <laughs> Dick Ninko. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're just gonna name your next dog that. Why did you name your dog Brody? Bro, because I'm a bro, man. Uh, I don't know. I just like bro. I like Brody. Cause I Why, didn't you want to name him like Mac or something? Mac Truck? Yeah, I like Mac Truck, but Goldens, I guess a golden, you know, a golden, you think of like golden hair flowing, like a Brody's bro. He's surfing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So he's, kind of, he's just one of the bunch. He's like. Yeah, he's, he's chilling. He ate a gummy. He's good. <laughs> he ate a gummy. He's good. Um, oh, this is perfect. If animals could talk, which would be the rudest? Oh, definitely a cat. I think squirrels would be super rude. Cat would be like, get out of here. I no, I feel like cats would be super sassy and sarcastic and funny. Like I'm always watching you. I hated cats. Cats growing up, I had a cat when I was growing up. It used to bite me. I'd be like, get the fuck away from me. Sorry, can I say that word? Sorry. No, you can. You oh, can. Like, get the fuck away from me asshole <laughs> just look at you could like we had a cat growing up and you couldn't pet it i'm like mom what's the point of what's having a cat point? you can't touch you touch it and it would bite you i'm like get out of here like i wanted to like every time i wanted to just let it run away it never did though you should just kick it drop kick it drop kick. i feel like i feel like squirrels are super annoying i feel like squirrels <laughs> would just be nasty and especially in your face and then just running all over the place and i, I mean I like they'd be super rude just i think a cat, i think cats are bitchy you know cat like they say caddy right caddy is like yeah caddy caddy cat he's caddy caddy cat uh 84 if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life what would that be i feel like that's just like a such a terry uh i would say i mean i love i love pizza i could eat pizza a lot I love good. I love good pizza. What's your favorite slice in Boston? See, I don't, I'm not. I don't. I'm from Chicago, so like anything in Boston doesn't do it for me. Anything. Santarpios. Anything. What? Have you been to Santarpios? No, I haven't. Boston, I gotta take you. It's literally the. It's a mafia spot to the end, to no end. It's right off of the Sumner Tunnel. The I, Sumner Tunnel. When you get I've out never of been. The so I, I, I'm like when I'm in Chicago, that's where I go. I go to like my spots and. Yeah. Then, are you a Pequod's guy? When I'm in Chicago, I'm like local. So if you go to Giordano's, yeah, or I love basic. Um, Lou Malnati's. Malnati's are my favorite. Lou's. I like Aurelio's. I don't know if you've ever had Aurelio's. It's really good. It's good, like thin crust. That's what I miss. I miss my hometown Chi Town pizza. That's the one thing I do miss. Well, you can go. There's a website called Gold Betty. Bell there's a website called Gold Belly and you can go on there and they can, they send you like mm. the famous foods from every city. So they can send I you. I do know that Connecticut has some really good pizza. So I've, when I've been working in Connecticut, I'd go check out some spots. 
Um, I just went to Frank, the original Frank Pepe's. Any yeah. my new thing is putting garlic and cheese. Ooh, that sounds good though. I do enjoy that. It brings out the flavor. Yeah, it just makes you smell so good. I know. <laughs> All right, hundred. Oh, this is. I feel like this is a question that like you and Chris Long would like smoke a bunch of weed and just like really just mull over for hours. Is cereal soup? No, cereal's not soup. I love cereal. I love cereal though, and I'll name the cereals that I love. Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. I love Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. Um, I love Lucky Charms, which they're probably not great for you. Number one in my book. I, number that's really good. I love Honey Bunches of Oats. That's one of my go-tos. What about Raisin Bran Crunch? Mm-mm. Oh, Raisin Bran Crunch. Like no, they have the Honey Bunches of Oats in it, I and it has like a maple. I syrup. don't like the raisins in my cereal. I don't like raisin. I don't like anything raisins in because it's in the milk and it's at the bottom, and you scoop it up, and you. It's I just not a huge ra- raisin guy in my oh, cereal. I'll go top three: Cocoa Puffs, number one. Number two, Lucky Charms. Number three, um, Honey Bunches of Oats. What was like that waffly? I'm trying. Oh, was it Life cereal? Was it, it was like the waffle kind and it had cinnamon sugar? Uh, was it Life? I think no. it was Life. Oh, your Cinnamon Toast Crunch? That no, one? it was the small waffle cereal. So that was like very the, thin. Life, and it, life was like, a, it looked like a, a square. and then Yeah, it was a square and then had cinnamon sugar in it. I don't think that was Life though. I think Life was like good for like. One, not good for you, but like a better for you cereal. Some of the stuff with the sugar on it's like awful. It's like just eating a bowl of sugar. So you had to soak it in the milk. See, I can't eat cereal if it's soaked. It's got to be, I have to, it's like Captain Crunch. Like I used to eat like Captain Crunch. You eat it and the roof of your mouth gets raw and it hurts. Like if you eat it, you got to eat it really fresh and right away. If it gets soggy, I can't, I can't eat it. I can't eat it if it's not like crunchy. It's a rule. Don't eat it soggy. It's gross. It's soggy. All right, a couple more that I'm going to pick. All right. If you had to replace your hands with something other than hands, hooks or claws, what would you choose or why? Claws, because I feel like you can grab something with a claw. A hook, a hook what do you do with a hook? Like You, you can't... You could really hang on things. You, I feel like hurt, I would, you, 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 you could hurt someone with a hook. Like, double hooks? Like, I would rather double claws. Like, or like, what would a claw be like that? Like a claw? I don't know. You can, that's like a crab claw. Like you, you could pick something up, I guess. What if it's a lobster claw? You only have a thumb and then four. Oh, uh, I mean, could you be gentle? Could you gently grab something? I mean, are you like a like a sloth? I think you can be like, as gentle or as mean as you like want. A sloth grabbing something really slow and gently. Um, <laughs> Did no, you ever play Edward Scissor, Edward Forty Hands in college? That was yep. my favorite game. Yep, I have done that before. Yes. Did you win? Uh, no, because I have a I have a very small bladder and <laughs> <laughs> didn't work out for me. <laughs> Nobody would help me either. Damn what? It. Terrible friends. Nobody would help me. Go oh, so, oh well, yeah, because you didn't meet your you didn't meet your wife until later in life. So that's know. The, you know. Nobody used to help me. No, no. Um, what's the best Wi-Fi name you've seen or you've had? Uh, Wi-Fi name. I honestly go with what like they give me the Wi-Fi. Like ours right now is like XFG two five six dash. It's like I don't. I think uh, one of mine was Ya Y A B O Y 
Ninko 50. Yeah, boy, Ninko 50 was one of them. That was one of my. In college, like, did you, I could just see you like having just like this baby face with like a, just kind of like a bro attitude like a with a flat I never, so i've had a beard since i was 18 so i've never really like when i was a kid all the women that were my age thought i was like 35 or 30 so for some reason i've always attracted like mid 30s even when i was 18 like the women that or anyone i used to talk to was they it wasn't my age group they were a little bit more older let's put it that way okay if so, peanut butter wasn't called peanut butter, what would it be called? Uh, nut sauce. <laughs> <laughs> nut, nut sauce. Nut sauce. Well, what about almond butter? Uh, you got to have a different name for that. Yeah, that could be. Uh, could that be? <laughs> That's nuts too. Or almonds. Uh, almond spread. Almond spread. Almond spread. <sighs> Oh, if a hacker hacked into your computer was threatening to release your browser history to your friends and family, how much money would you pay them to avoid it? Um, <laughs> on the, I, I actually, I wouldn't, I, I would open it up to anybody right now because my, my browser is pretty much um, Amazon and a lot of kids stuff and nothing that I would be ashamed to let anyone see. You are so wholesome. Uh, that's right. I'm just a wholesome. I'm a wholesome guy. Just such a role model for so many people. Mm -hmm. What is the creepiest thing you could say while passing a stranger on the street? Um, excuse me, sir. Do you have any ointment <laughs> I could borrow? I think ointment is the weirdest word. Ointment. 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 I need I, oh. ointment. You know what's my least favorite word right now is cooties. Cooties? That's I, I mean. I, I did, honest for some reason. You know why? Like people like uh, so some people that are like, um, endearing like calling COVID like endearing cooties in an endearing way, and I just hate it. Yeah. I'm like no cooties. I think of a Jack, the movie Jack with Robin Williams. Oh yeah. When he oh, that was another one. I you know when I think of you because you're a couple years older than me, I think of like my bros. You remind me of my brothers. Like I grew up with two older brothers. So yeah. I think of um the movies that we used to watch when we would go to our house in Maine in the winter and like uh Breakfast Club and um you know um Indiana Jones and Back to the Future. Like, what's the one movie that you just have watched like over and over Roddy again? Kid. Like really reminds you of your childhood. Roddy Kid, one, two, and three. Yes. All of them. Three. Two was my favorite. One was great because it's one. Three was, man, and then the one with the girl doesn't count. <laughs> Why doesn't the one with the girl? Sorry. I just, I can't, Karate Kid can't be Karate Kid with, and the newest one with the, the Smith kid, I literally couldn't watch it because I'm like, this kid couldn't fight his way out of a paper bag. He was like the smallest little kid ever, and he's going to fight some some Asian kid like that knows karate since birth, like, give me a break. Like Jackie Chan is not going to help you uh, be a, a Kung Fu artist. Like there's no way. So did you see that one with the Jalen, or Jalen Smith? No, I, you know, I, I saw I am legend or what's, Oh no. Um, good one. 
Pursuit of Happiness. I saw the movie Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith and his kid, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, so cute." But he's I feel like he's not a karate Smith. kid. He's not a karate kid. He doesn't. He doesn't strike me as a guy or a boy I would fear. I mean, Ralph Macchio, on the other hand, he looks. You know, he still looks like a kid, but Ralph Macchio, he played it off a little bit better. He was at least a teenager. The Smith kid was like ten. That reminds me, my brother used to take me into the basement. My middle brother was a—he's a—he's a big jokester. He'd take me to the basement. He scared the shit out of you. Oh no, he would literally. So he used to say, um, he'd pretend like he was—you uh, know—he—he he was so great at everything in life. He was a good athlete, but he—he mm-hmm. he was a football player. Hated playing when it rained. When it rained, he didn't like it. He was like, "Yeah, no, this I'm out." But um, he did like two classes of karate. And I remember he he quit, but he would take me to the basement. I must have been four, five. He's like, he's like, I am your Dana son. I'm going to teach you karate because he watched the karate kid so many times. So he would he would practice like these moves, he's like, huh, huh. And I just remember that he used to like he used to scissor kick me and I'd like fly across the room and I start screaming. He's like, Okay. Don't, don't cry don't cry don't I didn't cry don't cry and then he'd do it again so big yeah when I, tough, man it grows that they hey guess what though you wouldn't be as tough if you didn't have your brothers i couldn't agree more i know you know and that's you know coming from my father who was a marine and all that stuff i just remember i was actually thinking about my grandfather this morning it's like when i was little and i'd cry you like courtney robinson there is no crying <laughs> you have to be tough so <laughs> You know, that's how I take all the haters these days. Yeah, well, there's no matter what you do, you're never you're never going to avoid those people that they're just there's haters everywhere because they're jealous of where they're at. And that's basically it. Hating comes from jealousy. Yeah, I I had there was a a quote. My friend said this today and I'll pull it up, but it just it hit me. And I needed, I just needed to see it. He said, someone who hates you normally hates you for one of three reasons. They either see you as a threat, they hate themselves, or they want to be you. Exactly. So for me, I laugh when people say something. I'm like, uh, yeah, whatever. The difference between that and there's a difference between, like, um, someone literally going through and screenshotting, like, um, all of your old pictures. And then and actually, it's just someone that's making up stats, of things that I said in the past and like lying about things. Oh, Courtney said that Tom Brady was um, four, two and one in primetime games over 20 years. Why would you say that? So it's like, it's they're muddying the credibility of my career. And I'm just thinking about it. And I'm like, you know what? Like even replying is just giving them more power. Cause it's just, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the best thing you could do for most of that stuff is just let it go. Cause they want the response. I love it. When I get something said back at me and I look at the amount of followers they have and it's literally like 10 people. So all they want you to do is to follow, say something back. Then the people that you follow see that and then they get the people that see them. So it's like, I just don't give them the time of day and I just let it go. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen stuff and it pisses me off, but I just, I'm like, all right, well, I, I'm going to go like work on my cool cars and like, play with my kids or my new puppy. Like I'm going to just enjoy my life and hopefully they can enjoy theirs. Yes. And on that note, Rob, this was fun. I wish I could spend like two hours all the time with, you know, <laughs> someone who's a friend of mine, who is a three time Super Bowl champion or two times. I forgot. I forgot. I lost one. I lost one. Don't give I me. I forgot. That. 
Oh, sorry. I didn't even bring this up. Um, what? Look at that. I'm getting old. I'm getting like the little like, what is that called? No, what? Uh, there's uh, crow's net. Crow's. crow's I'm getting crow's a little feet. right, right there. On yeah. Oh, what? Someone asked the question. They said, "What really happens on the bottom, the bottom of a football pile?" I've had a lot of. I've had my wiener grabbed. I've had my stomach grabbed. I've had my balls twisted. I've had weird stuff happen to me because <laughs> all they want to do is get the ball from you. Uh, it's terrible. That's so fucked up. Yeah. One time, one time I had a ball, I had the ball, I recovered the ball on the, like, and I was curled up and someone grabbed like my, like, I guess my flank, like somebody oh, yeah. had my flank and they grabbed it. It's, I mean, imagine grabbing this, your side and twist, like grabbing it as hard as you possibly can and like twisting it. And I remember just starting to like, like freak out, like, just like go nuts. And it hurt. It, like I had like a bruise there cause they were trying to like get me to drop the ball probably grabbed one of your kidneys or something Something it hurt but i didn't have what i said earlier i mean they nobody did that but they there's like in the pile when you have a ton of dudes like there's no rules in there you're just trying to get the ball like you're trying to win a football game you're trying to get paid so whoever whoever dropped that ball or fumbled that ball they're trying to not lose their job so they're trying to get the ball back cash rules everything around me cream Get the money, dollar dollar bills, y'all. Rob set up for life. Rob Nikovich, former New England Patriots linebacker, two-time Super Bowl champion, ESPN analyst. Should the list go on? Loving and endearing father to three beautiful kids, puppy dad. Puppy dad. Dan and Ninko show. You can go find it on YouTube. Daninko.com. Do you like I don't that know. Uh, put in Dan and Ninko show? It's in there somewhere. Dan and Ninko show. Thanks so much for joining me. This was fun. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. you. That was a super fun show. Thank you again to Rob Nikovich for coming on. Uh, we're going to continue the interviews for the week. We've got a couple of them lined up for Friday. I won't give you the guests, but spoiler alert, they're pretty good. One of them being Michael Smith. <laughs> I just ruined the surprise. Uh, we got Michael Smith, former ESPN um, anchor. He was with Jamel Hill for many years. Very controversial, but he's kind of jumped off on his own. Started a production company. We talk about the trials and tribulations of becoming an entrepreneur in this business, creating films, um, just about starting a business. I think that's um, it was a super interesting conversation. So... Go check that out for Friday and enjoy your Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving from me to you from the Bad Signal Pod. I could not see you later.